How many hours of sleep do you need a night to feel rested? Just put it on your hands. Just do a, at home, let's do a survey in here. How many night, how many hours of sleep? Lots of sevens, some sixes, tens, amen to tens, five, tens. They say this, the science behind it seems difficult to get away from the idea that eight hours is what most people would need to feel maintained and rested in it on an ongoing basis. What's the longest sleep you've ever had? Some of you will need this, a bunch of them, all day. Four days. That, that, that kind of sleep re required prayer to go along with it to stay sleeping that long. In 1991, uh, the last week of December 1991, I was in grade 12, and I was part of something in the province called uh, Youth Parliament. It's where a number, of, I think it was 50 or 60, 100 uh, young people and young adults, grade 12 and, and university, went to the parliament buildings in Regina, and they stayed in a hotel, and for three or four days, we got to be in the chambers, sitting in MLA's seats, and doing business, and passing policies and laws as related to young people. So it was, it was pretty interesting to see how the system works. And uh, you can blame nothing if you have any concerns about today's political world based on anything I voted on 25 years ago in that mock parliament. But uh, that was an environment I had never really been in. I'd been to youth camp, I'd been to youth retreats, I'd been to youth rallies. Everything starts with prayer and ends with prayer. Youth parliament with people from all over the province with all sorts of backgrounds. It was a world I was not used to. And uh, while there wasn't alcohol and partying and drinking and stuff, I think every night I was there, bedtime became at 3 or 4 in the morning and we were supposed to be up at 7 to get ready to go to the parliament buildings. Maybe that's what's going on at parliament that is getting people into trouble if you don't approve the laws. But I came home from that and drove me and my friends home. There's three of us from our grade 12 class that got to be a part of it. And I got home at 3 o'clock on that afternoon, New Year's Eve. And I went to bed at 3. My mom said I could go to bed. And I slept through the night, which was a big deal because it was the, the watch night service at, at Whitewood Church, which they have church over midnight. So they let me sleep through that. And I slept the next day until 11 or 12 o'clock. I slept 20 hours straight uninterrupted. And I've never done that since. But, but there is a need for rest. And although that might be a silly example or me abusing my body to go into that much rest, the reality is every one of you has joys in life, stresses in life, work, have uh, things that you do to celebrate and entertain, things you don't like to do that just feel like duty. And it plays a toll on your body. And rest is something in God's design that we need in order to move ahead. Many people think that sleep equals rest. And while sleep is a part of it, it's not the only part. Living rested, looking at our rest, is something that needs to happen on purpose and with purpose because it's actually part of our overall perspective and take and spiritual walk in this life. And we don't talk about rest enough. We do talk about Sabbath around here, and it's a part of what rest would be considered. But I want to talk a little bit, hopefully, in a larger scale about the idea of rest. And in a world that says it values rest, and there's some conversations about self-care, and there's some retreat places, and there's spas, often rest is attributed or, or connected with how much money you have if you can afford to rest. 
And I want to come at it from a bit of more of a Jesus angle where the idea of rest isn't just about how much money you have in your pocket, if you can afford to take off work so that you can have a rest, but rather that it's a mindset and that it's an intentional part of our life to take up with Jesus. And so if the world doesn't value it for what it is, the follower of Christ does need to recognize it and value it for what God created it to be. And so today we're going to look at Jesus' example of rest, one of his examples of rest and his challenge to his disciples, as well as a few things we can possibly put into practice that might help us in a journey of rest. So why are we doing this again? Why are we talking about on purpose, with purpose? I have a picture from the forestry farm. It's another trellis. I've tried to have a different trellis picture for you every week. That's in the, the meditation garden, they call it. And it's a beautiful garden. I miss the, the blossoms on the tree this year. But you see a trellis that is partially growing up. It's partially bare. And there's, there's also dead branches or dead vines as part of that. And I thought that was a great example of the Christian walk. I could put up pictures up there of just a trellis that is so flourishing and so green, like at my mother-in-law and father-in-law's house, you didn't even know there was a trellis there. It just is so great. And often we look at spiritual people and we say, man, they're just such a magical Christian. They've just got it all together. When underneath, there's been all the vines that have come to life and, and the trellis has been there to help these vines grow. Those super spiritual people that we would just like to be like, have a prayer life, have a, a hunger for God's word, know what it is to walk out in rhythm and routine with Jesus. And that's why it looks like they're flourishing. But for a lot of us, our trellis looks like the one from the forestry farm where there's stuff that's growing, stuff that needs to be pruned away, and stuff that needs to fill in and yet to be developed. It's called discipleship, amen? amen. That we all are on a journey of discipleship till we get to heaven. And so on purpose with purpose is about us having this kind of organized routine or rhythm, some structure so that the, the fruit of our life can get off the ground, the branches can get off the ground and flourish and not just be trampled in the, the humdrum minutia of life. So Leah showed us this diagram a few weeks ago from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality about the, the rule of life. And in it, at the center, you see the section of the love of God. And then you see the other sections around it, relationships, work, prayer and rest and lots of our life if you were to use those as general headings can fit into those four columns and today we're talking about rest and it's about in that particular diagram you you saw you could actually fill in those quadrants with things you would int intentionally do or not do so that you can have some structure and rhythm and routine to those areas of your life. That there is no area of our life that is separate from God's will or separate from God's plan, but it's all spiritual, therefore it's all his, therefore it all needs to surrender and submit to the love of God which is central. But if we chase any one of those, those things to its own end and we subtract the God portion out of it and it just becomes rest, you never get enough rest. If you take God out of work, it just becomes a taskmaster and you can never work hard enough and get everything that you want to get. But all of those different quadrants are to align and come underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ and they are actually a gift that if submitted and surrendered to him, he will give the growth to it. He will help you use those different areas of your life so that they can flourish in relationship with him first 
And then when we go after the relationship with God first, Scripture says all those other things will be added unto you in Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 35 to 41 is an example of rest, I believe, that we can look at briefly today. Mark chapter 4, verses 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. Ever been in a boat situation like that? Some of you fishermen out there? Furious storm came up. The, the waves broke over the, the bow of the bo boat so that it could be nearly swamped. In verse 38, Jesus was in the stern or in the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Anybody ever been drowning before? I don't know if I could get passionate enough. Sarah challenged us to read scripture last week as if it was really happening. You want me to go after this like I'm really drowning? Are you guys awake out there behind your masks? Folks at home, I'm waking the people up. We're going to drown if you don't help us, Jesus. That's what's going on in this guy's mind. Teacher, don't you care? Verse 39, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, are you guys okay? I'm so sorry, I almost missed that. Huh? That's all Jesus could say because he's just loving and compassionate and caring all the time. What else would he say? Oh, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? How many of you invite Jesus to speak to you in those kind of words? Jesus, I, I want to know you. I want to feel your love. I want to experience you. I want your guidance and direction. I want your correction. That's what's going on here. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There's so much in this passage. Maybe we'll preach it again this summer because after July 4th, starting July 11th, we're doing a summer series on the miracles of Jesus and, and some of those. So maybe we'll talk about this again. But I want to highlight a couple things. Jesus had been teaching large, large crowds and he had to get away. He's the one who suggested to his disciples, let's go away. They were not just trying to get to the next meeting. They were trying to get away for some rest. They were trying to get away from the crowds where all the awesome teaching was happening and they needed to get away from it. Even your good stuff, you need a break and a rest from. You love your job, that's great. You can't do it 24-7. We need to be able to take time for rest. It shows that Jesus was so tired, he fell asleep. And then this storm came up. And he kept sleeping. It was so stormy. I don't like, like I kind of like the water. I put, my, I put myself on cruise ships, but that's because there's a captain on board and I can go hide in the middle of the ship. The safest place I'm sure there is in the middle of a big ocean Nothing can happen in the middle of a ship in the big ocean, right? It's got to be safe. 
Other people are in charge. But to be the captain of a ship that's getting buffeted by winds and waves and, and you think you're going to sink? Not my idea of a party. Get my feet on some solid ground. Let's uh, hook a rope to something, concrete it down, nail it together. Let's get firm and secure here. Do not have anything going over my head. Not my idea of a party. The storm came up. Jesus is sleeping and he still sleeps. The guys panic. They run to him. They're fearful. They say, don't you even care if we drown? And he rebukes them after he stops the storm. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Jesus, could you just take care of all my storms and then rebuke me after? Maybe I'll be in a better place to receive it. I'm not sure that's always the order that goes on. There are times in life where you and I have extra work, where we have to push the boundaries. There's extra stress. There's a sickness. There's a change in family life. There's difficult situations. There's taxing and tiring times. And I want to acknowledge that. This is not a gloss over message that you should just live perfectly rested for all the days of your life. Life happens. It's broken. And there are times where it's just tiring, exhausting, and you got to push through. And with the grace of Jesus, you can do it. But overall, we live in a broken world that often and continually has things in upheaval. And if we don't learn to rest amidst the instability and difficulty of our situations, we will never live a restful life. And if we don't live a restful life, we can't live an abundant life. Here's my main question for you today partially because it's coming out of COVID, but I don't have time to hang out there today, partially because we all have stuff going on. Are we looking for rest or are we looking for stability? Do you want rest in your life or do you want stability? Because Jesus in the midst of the storm was having rest and Jesus says storms and trials and tribulations will come. And we can have rest if we run to him. But what he also shows is that the world is unstable. The world is broken. The end times are coming. Two years ago at Montana camp, the speaker talked about shaky, shaky, that the whole world is shaking. And we've got a church over the last two years that has shook and shook because we can't quite handle the fact that the world is changing. The end is getting closer. And I don't know when it is, but I just know it's a week closer today than it was last Sunday. But we think that we as Christians should just live in a steadfast, solid life. And I'm telling you, it's not scriptural. We are called to live in a restful state with Jesus because he himself says that when earthquakes happen, when rumors of wars happen, when difficult things happen, that means the end is getting near. And we have a bunch of Christians praying that in the 80s and 90s and 70s, it was like, Credit cards are the, are the mark of the beast. Or the internet, that's the coming of the end times. There's been, can you imagine if you lived at the height of decision making during the World War II or World War I? How about the Spanish flu? Do you possibly think at any one of those given times that the Christians thought the world was ending? I'll guarantee you they did. And somehow we're in a place right now, and I'm, forgive me if I'm sounding a little mad, this might be more vent than preach but it's supposed to be passionate and heartfelt that 
We don't think that we should be part of the moving to whatever God has. We have to stand for righteousness. We have to stand for justice. But we do it loving well so that we can be light and life and salt to the world around us. Not not because we're fearful. Jesus rebuked the disciples because they were fearful. We have a whole bunch of people that are, are arguing out in the world And my fear is that it's not because we're concerned about the other people. It's because we're a little scared that our world's shaky. And I would not rather have my world shaky. I don't want my ethics and morals challenged. I don't know how, I don't want to figure out how to talk to difficult people. Let's just make the world go away and call it heaven today. And then I'll feel rested and secure. That's not what Jesus has for us, folks. We are called to live stay rested in instability as the picture of the boat is. Mark chapter 13 is where those scriptures are. And I'll just read a couple of them. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings. The gospel must be first preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, we don't like talking about those words. And I don't like talking about them. And I don't want to prophesy them. I'm just saying that they're here. And praise God for Canada and a democracy. But God did not come to make the world a democracy. He came to save it. Because democracy, communist, fascist, whatever world model you call the best, it's broken by sin because it's tainted by sinners. And we all need a savior. The storms in our world, political, economic, social, relational, health, those perspectives all need to come in line with who Jesus is. If you are needing the politics of the world to be settled to experience rest, my apologies to you. If you're needing your finances to be settled in order for you to experience rest, my apologies to you. If you are needing the moral and ethical issues of our world to be settled to experience rest, my apologies to you. If you need all your relationships to be settled to experience rest, my apologies. If you need your plans to be settled, my apologies. If your health needs to be settled, my apologies. If your opinions and perspective needs to be validated by everyone around you that they are right in order for you to be settled or rested, my apologies to you. We can't have it all, unlike the advertisement says. We live rested in the midst of instability. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. People, our rest is not found in the stability of our situations. Our rest is found in the stability of our savior. That's where we can find our rest. That's where we can find our hope. What do you need to know if that's the case? You need to know that you need to invest in rest. Everybody say, invest in rest. rest. At home, invest in rest. There, good stuff. It is not cheating. It is not laziness to pursue rest 
and a restful perspective and a restful way, it is a difficult thing because what do we all say when somebody says, how are you doing? 75% of the time, 85% of the time, I'm pretty busy. Busy becomes synonymous with I'm valuable and I'm worth something and I have a life. But it also sends a statement mentally to us, consciously and unconsciously, that we're always busy and we're always stressed and we're always got stuff on the go. We need to pursue a restful mentality in order to get to an abundant life. And Jesus wants to give us that picture in the boat that we can actually run to him and rest no matter the instability of the situation. To invest in rest means that you recognize that God is God and you are not. You recognize, like, you recognize that investing, like if you took $100 and put it in a mutual fund that you could find that would do 10%, it would take years. You could have either spent that 100 bucks and bought yourself an outfit, or 10 years down the road, or 20 years down the road, maybe that $100 is $1,000. And you need to do both. You need to spend on what you need now, but if you just spend your resources now, you've got nothing later. But if you invest now for later, it turns out to more, hopefully, in this financial world. But that's the same thing with investing in rest. You got to do what you do and, and ex expend energy now, but you also have to invest in a mentality and rhythms and plans that allow you to rest and live a different li lifestyle than what the world offers you. So for those of you who need it, your pastor gives you permission to rest to pursue it. You don't have to say you're busy in order to be valuable or to be important. It's as important to say, I'm having a great day because I'm doing nothing and sleeping all day as it is to say, I'm busy and running around after the kids or running around after my parents. If you don't invest in rest and figure that out, you will live at a deficit Adrenaline is great for a short period of time. It gives us great focus. It gives us a great energy. But it actually, you can actually burn your adrenal glands out. And it can't produce and you can't receive it the way you need it when you actually need it. How do I know this stuff? Because I've burnt out chasing adrenaline, needing it for the next rush and focus and event. So I'm speaking from somebody who's at a deficit, who's harmed their body through chasing adrenaline. You can... If you don't invest in rest and you look for adrenaline to give you what you need for energy or, or we can start to medicate and chase the high, that's what leads into a whole bunch of stuff like gambling or porn is a, uh, common in our world, drugs, alcohol, premarital sex, extramarital affairs, shopping to get a rush, Amazon, the drug of the COVID generation, technologies. But how about this? One thing I've come to learn as I'm in the ministry is that one of the ways we try to chase and pursue life is when we take everything and try to make it a drama. If we have a crisis or an enemy or a situation, we have a purpose for living. And there's a lot of people that are looking for a short-term buzz by just having a new cause that's for a temporary amount of time so that they have a reason for life. And we can't live that way. You just go around creating life, creating drama, if that's, what, if that's your purpose for reason, if that's your reason for living, pardon me. What happens if you do learn to rest? You get great returns. It's a great investment. Better health, better mind, better spirit, wiser choices. Time to be present than just worrying about if you have energy to do the next thing that's on your task list. 
You get to live the life God has granted rather than to make a life you think you want. You have ability to discern what you want and what God wants. You have energy for what is important. Energy to be in solitude with Jesus rather than to just isolate with, from people. You have energy to serve others and the kingdom and the world rather than just consumer mentality and serve me. I don't know what I think about that church. Energy to grow in relationships and add to the, the flourishing of it rather than just to destroy relationships and be critical or, or upset or disappointed in them. Energy to steward and manage what you've been given in your life rather than just to think it's not quite enough or I'm entitled to live this way or I'm owed this by the world. If we invest in rest, we have energy to live an abundant life. So how do we show, what do we do for rest then? Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Number one, faith seems to be an issue. If you cannot trust Jesus, you have to control and run your own life. And there is no rest for those of us who choose to run our own life when God wants to be in control. Because first, he's going to keep bringing us around to show us that he'd prefer to run it for us so that we could just be co-partners. And secondly, we can't get it right. So, faith. How do you grow faith? Faith by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Scripture says. We've been talking this month about first word, last word. Let God's word have first say in your life at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. How are you doing with that? Faith by remembering. Remember the journey that you've been on. I talked about a fundraising campaign and we're going by it at, with faith because God has already done the impossible. We believe he's leading us into this. And so we can, by faith, ask knowing that we are just basing it on what he's said and done in the past and what he wants for the future. Remember what God has done. That grows your faith. And faith by relationship, pursuing the loving union, structuring your life around the love of God so that all things line up with him. So Jesus is correcting those disciples. He, it seems like faith is an issue. It seems where they put their faith is an issue. Is it in Jesus or is it in the situations? Remember that phrase. Our rest is not to be found in the stability of our situations, but in the stability of our Savior. Jesus is where we put our faith. And what to do when there seems to be an issue. Jesus was in a restful posture when the situations were going on. I want to end. I'll try to do this in three or four minutes, but with a couple practical things. I heard a preacher the other day say, you tell your people to do it, but tell them how to do it. So I'm going to give you a few practical things. Let's first talk about sleep in regards to rest. Psalm chapter 127, verse 2, he gives rest to his loved ones. Eight hours. If you are always tired, are you going after the right amount of sleep? For those of you who struggle with insomnia, who struggle with patterns that do not give uh, a long, lengthy period of sleep, I am, express my sincere condolences. That has to be the most frustrating thing in the world. 
and we want to pray for you. If you've never sought medical attention, encourage you to do that. Encourage you to deal with if your mind is tossing or running or streaming to deal with the sources of that, that Jesus wants to bring you rest. And I can only imagine if you can't physically get it, even when you're trying, that has to be the most frustrating thing in the world because you just can't wake up the next day feeling better. How many of you heard about the new phrase? They like to diagnose everything. How many of you ever heard of revenge pardon me, revenge bedtime procrastination? Have you ever heard of that? I'm going to teach you something today. There's a bunch of organizations that talk about it. Sleepfoundation.org is one of them. But there is a thing called revenge bedtime procrastination. And that is the decision to sacrifice sleep for leisure time because you drive a daily schedule that lacks enough free time. And so at the end of your day, you fight sleep and choose not to go to bed because you feel ripped off from your day of all the work you had to do. And so, doggone it. Am I allowed to say that in church? I went through about three or four phases. I'm going to have my leisure time, even if it means tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up feeling bad. Anybody? No, don't put up your hand. If you're at home, you can put up your hand. If that's you, we won't see you. It's tempting to do, but the consequences of sleep loss and doing that is is tremendous. And so uh, as we wrap up this sleep piece, there's some suggestions on how to hit the sack. S-A-C-K. S, stop using electronic devices at least a half an hour before you go to bed if you want to have a good sleep. A, avoid alcohol or caffeine late in the afternoon or evening. C, have a consistent bedtime and wake-up time, even on non-working days, they would say. And K, keep a stable routine. Some people just need the same routine, they say, they've documented. I brush my teeth now, I listen to this song then, I do this, and you get into a smooth routine that helps you fall asleep, and some people have had to do that. So... Stop the use of electronic devices, avoid caffeine and alcohol, consistent bedtime, keep a stable routine, and that'll help you hit the sack a little better. Come on, give me something. I'm trying to go fast here. Um, Anxiety and worry can affect sleep. There's something called lecto divina. It's a practice in how you can pray the scripture before you go to bed. It was practiced in monasteries. Becky Eldridge, I don't know much about her, but I came across this and would encourage you, if you are needing sleep and you want to practice a restful lifestyle, that you make this a part of your routine when it comes to scripture. It's a, first of all, you would read it, a scripture, and you'd read it thoughtfully. This is how it can work with first word, last word. Read the scripture, five or 10 or 11 verses. Does something pop out at you? A word, a phrase. The phrase that popped out at me a couple days ago when Jesus said to his disciples, shall I not drink this cup of suffering that the Father gave me? I didn't like thinking about that one. What word captures your heart? Read it, then reflect on it. Respond with prayer to it, and then rest. Just soak in it. I'm going to put some of these points that I'm shouting out quickly in the church email this week so that you can have them. But I'd want you to know that as a part of rest, scripture and prayer in pursuing loving union with Jesus is an important piece of it.
and we're going to leave it there simply to say the third one I was going to talk about was just days off and holidays. We made a significant shift 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter, to not just pursue doing stuff of everything we'd want to see, every place we'd want to go to, every family member we'd want to see to make sure everything's all good in one short amount of time every year. And that the Lord would help us to figure out how to maintain and live and love in those relationships without our holiday time going into it tired and coming out more tired because we've chased everything that we feel we need to do. View your days off, your Sabbaths, and your holidays as restful times that you can offer before the Lord and that he cares so much about, he wants to give you guidance and direction in. How many of here would love Jesus to be your vacation guide? I'll pray for the other 75% of you. To love well, which is what we've been talking about for nine months, we need to rest well. Rest needs to be done on purpose and with purpose so that it is an intentional part of our lives because if we don't pursue it, there's the chance we miss Jesus and resting with him in the midst of our difficult situations and we become like the disciples in the boat that see the difficult situation and just freak out. How did their freaking out help the situation? It didn't. They just got to be stressed and scared while getting wet. We want to run to Jesus And my desire for you, and the band is coming at this time. Worship team, pardon me. We recognize that Jesus wants every part of our life. And that rest is not cheating on our walk with God, but actually he wants to be in the middle of it. Intentionally and prayerfully pursue it with Jesus. And I believe you will be amazed at what he has laid out for you. Amen.